And uh, Lord, we just thank you for healing and at the cross. And we thank you for wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. And we thank you, uh, Lord, that you are concerned for our well-being and that you love us and that, that you said um, to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cleanse the lepers. And Lord, we want to be able to take that out into the community as well and see people touched by the goodness and the mercy and the grace of the power and love of God. So thank you for, thank you for healing today in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's what James actually says to get the elders to anoint you with oil, but um, we're just we're trusting in the power of Christ in you. Uh, thanks, Gord. So we've been looking the last few weeks at, um, this has never happened to me in, in the time I've been at this church that I had like weeks in a row <laughs> to do a series. So you're putting up with my style of Bible study in First John, but I think it's so relevant. And um, a number of people spoke to me after and said, "Wow, God sent me in First John for weeks. This is this is interesting." So um, so far in John, um, I I I've seen Jesus as the Word of Life, Life with a capital L revealed, the One who was with the Father, Eternal Life, the Son of the Father. Light, no darkness in him, our cleanser from sin, the faithful and righteous one, the forgiver of sins, the cleanser, this is the number of times it was said, the cleanser of sins, again, advocate for us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the propitiation for our sins, the acceptable, perfect payment, the appeasing sacrifice, the payment for the sins of the whole world, the truth and um, the love of God. So today we're in um, we're in uh, chapter four, and um, it's 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 all just to me so so amazing when I slow down and not just read but study and mark things, the things that come to light and become evident that were right there before me all the time have been for years, but when I actually slow down and, and look at it. It, it takes on new meaning. Um, Gord prayed for us on the worship team this morning and prayed that um, I, I, I don't ever want to be, he prayed for me that I wouldn't feel um, any intimidation from the enemy because sometimes I just go, God, my, my style of study is kind of academic and a little formal and methodical. And if you know me, I'm not a methodical person, actually, so that's kind of funny, but... Um, uh, I, it's a means to an end, and I think, you know, when, when Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman who correctly handles the word of truth, uh, it's kind of our responsibility to know how to handle the word of God, and I think as we present the gospel accurately with all the passion, I love, I love our, our tagline for the church, the vision statement is that we have a passion for Christ and his kingdom, and that we are passionate people. Um, when I met my husband, I was not very passionate about him. I didn't like him. <laughs> we were studying in Texas, and he had ident the identical schedule as I did. And, like, and so we were in every class together, which was super unusual because we picked this very minority model for the grammar model we were choosing to study unwritten languages. And so the guy was just there all the time, and I thought, oh, 
like, no. <laughs> and, um, and, and then one day, I've, some of you have heard the story, one day after this just absolute burner exam, we were walking past the chapel together, and we were just commiserating, and it was like, mm, my eyes were open, and I just thought, what a nice guy. Like, seriously, what a seriously nice guy. And it's like I saw him for the first time. And, and my heart changed. So guess where passion comes from? Passion comes from experiential knowledge. I don't ever want to beat myself up and say, oh, God, I don't love you enough. But if I can know you, to know you, to know you, to spend time in your presence and to spend time in your word, and that's my gig, right? That's my thing. I love to be marking up the word. I don't mark up my text in the Bible because it's so much. But I print it out and I mark it up. And I just sit at my desk and I weep. And I just weep with the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God who has done these things for us and, you know, who is so loving and so kind and reaches out to us and, and inspired these men to write these words straight from his heart and that they're there and they're printed for us in umpteen hundreds of versions in our language that we can just access. But oftentimes we don't. We just don't. And the church is kind of lazy, you know, the North American church, the Western church. And so we have these things. And if we would, you know, Psalm 119, hide these things in our heart. And that our, our, as I got to know Gord, I'm like, I love this guy, right? What's not to love, right? We started running together because it wasn't safe to run in Dallas where we lived. I couldn't run better by myself. So we would run together. And one day we're running around the subdivision that's being built and I was like, we're spending an awful lot of time together. This is hilarious. Because then I said, the next guy that proposes to me, because we'd both been formerly engaged, better have a ring in his pocket before he kisses me. And I was like, wow, chicky, who says that? Right? I was like, this must be God, because I don't say stuff like that. So funny. So this year we'll be 34 years married. And, um, and we're still getting to know each other, right? So... Know God. John says, know God. Yeah, Jenny, what? Oh, December 30th, right after Christmas. It was between semesters at school. It was my mom's idea. We were in Texas. We were going up to Ontario for Christmas, and she said, well, if you're coming home, why don't you just get married? I'm like, what? You haven't even met the guy, right? So this got to be God. It's got to be God. Hallelujah. So John, I, I, love, I love John. I love the things that he has to reveal to us that he walked with the with Jesus and met the risen Jesus, um, but he gives he's getting into the some really practical stuff here. So, um, I seem to have okay. So if we can put put that up on the uh, oops, we have a new computer. Everybody. I've got the controller, of course. I'm trying not to be in control anymore, but I've got the controller. It's just not up on my screen there, so I didn't see it. I know, but I, I don't have it here. So I, I, it's okay, I'm just going to turn. So uh, great certainties, great Christian certainties, and the wonders of First John. So uh, we went over this <clears throat> last week, but John loves contrast, 
And it was so funny last week because most of the congregation was dressed in black and white. And I, I'd been saying John loves contrast, and it, he's quite black and white because we always think of him as the apostle of love. And literally the whole band, the band from Chilliwack was here, Brian and the band, everybody but Carl was wearing black or white. But his wife was wearing black and white. And Ruth said to me, the Lord actually told me to wear black and white this morning. I'm like, what? So everybody was wearing black and white, put up their hand. I was like, oh my goodness, it's like this prophetic thing. So light contrasts obviously with darkness, life with death, love with hate, and truth with lies, deception, or in actually today in this chapter four, it'll be error, truth and error. And the word for error means to stray away from. So if you think of the word of God as the plumb line, Jesus himself is the truth. As soon as you stray away, you're in error. Um, so these were some of the, the things we, we marked um, in chapter three, see how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, John says, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. So um, just marking things so that they, it slows us down and we start to notice patterns and things that the writer is, the Holy Spirit is wanting to emphasize. So one of John's main concerns is that we know Christ, know him, know him, experiential knowledge and these very uh, very much um, into calling the children of God little children he's very fatherly but he's very aware that Christ is in us and so beloved now we are children of God it has not yet appeared what we will be as Richard was saying because we'll get new bodies but we know that when he appears we will be just like him because we will see him just as he is And everyone who has this hope set on him, Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we're using the NASB because it's um, quite close to the Greek. And so that when a word will appear, the same word will be translated the same way each time. Whereas in some other translations, the same word might be translated various ways. And so you can't necessarily follow how many times it occurs. Because some, sometimes, like with Greek, having at least three words for love, right? Agape, eros, filio, and we have love. We have one. We're kind of poor in the love category in English, right? We have to put, a, we have to put an adjective in front of it and, and describe what kind of love it is. And so tell me about agape, because you know this. Tell me what, about God's love. Tell me about agape love. What do you know about it? Unconditional true jenny you're just like so on it the last few weeks you're like i know right i know it's just like i'm gonna tell your exercise coordinator that you're like top of the class at church too right like because she's like in there yeah anything else agape never changes hallelujah never ending you guys are good and all-encompassing cool anything else solid Selfless, right? So agape love gives, initiates giving, and is not looking for payback. It's not looking for a return. Selfless. So I just want to contrast that with the love of the world, right? The ooey. 
Ewe, you pay me back, I'm the last. He is just as he is, and he, we will be like him uh, when he appears. Appears is in there a couple times. And he's going to appear again, and John's super aware of that. And he's, he's writing to the church to get the church ready for when Christ appears, which every generation should, um, and the children of God. So here's, here's chapter 4. So um, now he's starting into some, some very practical applications. And as we talked about last week, the, one of the main straying from the truth that happened in that time was the Gnostics. People didn't believe that Jesus had come as a man. Now, more people in our time have more difficulty believing that Jesus was God. Okay, so Muslims, he doesn't, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. JWs, Mormons, none of them believe Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe he is God. Okay, so that's, that is false teaching. Right? It's straying, it's in error, it's straying from the truth. And, but John's battle was with false teachers who were saying um, he was God and God was too holy to become fully a man because flesh is unholy. And so they had, the Docetists had an idea that at his baptism, Christ became a man, and at his crucifixion, he 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 just was uh, God again. He wasn't a man. Right? Like people, the variations people come up with because they couldn't reconcile the idea that God would become a man because it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty crazy idea God had to become a man, but it was the only way being fully God and fully man that he could pay the sin in our place, right? Pay the sacrifice. So, uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, John says, but test the spirits, smallest spirit, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what are we addressing here? Okay, so we've got spirits and false prophets, and where are they? They've gone out into the world. So we're talking to believers, beloved, do not what? But what? Tests. So as, as believers, as Christians, we're supposed to test spirits. So let's just mark up a few things. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And I'm sorry, I got a little ghosty thing going there. I know it's, uh, it's just like the Holy Spirit's a dove, right? I'm just, it's just to make you laugh. It's just to make you laugh. Don't get freaked out. Okay, it's a small s spirit. What are spirits? We got a general definition. If you, yeah, so demons, evil spirits, um, they're beings without bodies, and they look to inhabit a body and influence that body. Remember the pigs, Jesus sending the demons out, the evil spirits into the pigs, and the pigs drowned where the spirits went. We do not know, but they are they are spirits. And so it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they, the spirits, are from God. Because we have the capital S, Holy Spirit. Because many false prophets, oh, from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, so the context is false prophets are in the world. And what 
what motivates a false prophet, what causes the false prophet to be false? Spirits. Okay, so we always want to remember Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The false prophets are a problem, but it's the spirit in the false prophet that's causing them to be a problem and to be deceptive. So um, what do we know about false prophets from scripture, from other scriptures? Okay, we know that we're going to have them. What do they look like in the Old Testament? Say again. False prophets in the were there false prophets in the Old Testament? What did you do to them? What did they do? What did God say to do to them? They got stoned. Yeah. So, um, in the Old Testament sense of that word, so. Um, So false prophets in the Old Testament were people who said they were speaking on behalf of God to the people of God, and other cultures had false prophets, but they would speak something, and the people were to um, discern whether or not if what they were saying was from God, if it didn't match up with what they knew about God and what God had said, that person was to be killed. And is a very serious thing. So in the New Testament, we have uh, a few, a few uh, warnings, and they are often compared to an animal. Anybody remember what, who Jesus compared false prophets to? Are you saying a jackal? I think it's wolves. Wolves. Wolves, yeah, wolves even in sheep's clothing. So it sounds like a little red riding hood, right? Um, dressed up as a granny. Um, so beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. So sometimes it's, there's a deception going on even in their appearance. And, um, and the, the hilarious thing is you're gonna, you, you actually will know the Greek for false prophet. It's pseudo-prophetes. <laughs> I love that. So much of our language, so much of English is influenced by, it's, a false, it's literally just false prophet. Many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. So they're deceptive. They put on an appearance that's not accurate and is trying to trick people. They mislead, Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets, false Christs, so antichrists, and false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. And several of the Gospels record that. So Jesus says, be on the lookout for um, people who are saying things that don't line up with the character and the word of God and who are trying to lead people astray. They mislead, they're deceptive, and uh, they might even do signs and wonders, which isn't new because Moses and the magicians, right? The magicians were able to track with Moses doing wonders until a certain point, and then God outwondered them. So, um, woe to you when all people, get this one, Luke, Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Uh-oh, look out. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. So this means that generally, sheep are not very discerning. <laughs> okay? And shepherds are meant to protect the flock and be discerning and watch out for false prophets, Right? But when people speak well of you, so oftentimes false prophets um, will, people will speak well of them. 
and they're doing destructive things. We're seeing it in our own town. We're seeing it in our culture right now with things that are not of God being promoted as, um, as cool and the thing to do when they're absolutely against everything that God stands for and what he built the family and the fabric of society to be like. I think you know what I'm talking about. So that is a false prophet. They've strayed from the truth. They've wandered away, and they're teaching their flocks and the cultural generally. They're endorsing it and bringing people into error, and they will answer for it. We won't stone them, just so you know. But we are praying and, um, and speaking up. Um, when they had gone in Acts, when they had gone through the whole island as far as uh, Paphos, they found a, magi- a magician, a Jewish false prophet, okay, whose name was Bar-Jesus, <laughs> right? Even has the, the, the name of Jesus. Second um, Peter 2, 1, but false prophets also appeared among the people just as they will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them and bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So God is not unaware of false prophets and their damage, and um, there will be destruction. Ultimately, there is the false prophet and the beast in the book of Revelation, and it says um, the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So there's going to be, a, Thessalonians says, there will be a great falling away, right? There will be a great falling away, and people will be taken in by the deception of false prophets and because they will have power to perform miracles and signs and wonders. So obviously, uh, you know what? It's a time, right? It's a time for the church to press in and hear God and receive power. I, you know, you think of um, Samson was an unholy kind of guy, but God used him as a, a prophet to Israel and used his incredible strength. Think of the incredible strength Samson has. Demons often have incredible physical strength. They often have incredible insight and knowledge. I've had, I've had guys come up to me and just say something about me that they could not know except by a supernatural knowledge, and it was a demon, right? And so you're like, hello, if a demon can do that, come on. God's got how much power and authority? Okay, so all leaves leaves how much for the enemy? Zero, okay? So let me just clarify this because there was someone who was a bit confused by this last week, but I think it was maybe they just um, stopped hearing at a certain point. But last week we talked about Jesus said, this John says, Jesus came to destroy, right, the works of the evil one. So sometimes when we're looking at these things, and this is why I like to look at them in context, because we're, we're going to hear, we're going to reason through the, the, the whole counsel of scripture, if you like. We don't want to just take one thing that's sad, but we want to take the balance of what other scripture said. So one thing I said in the come let us reason together was Jesus said it is finished so I'm, I'm not trying to give you all the answers if 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 you spoon feed a 30 year old shame on you right in the natural if you're spoon feeding somebody who's 30 years old ooh, right so in the spirit you guys are self-feeders I know that when I came to this church God said help everybody to be self-feeders you are self-feeders 
So when we reason through something like when it says, he came to destroy the works of the enemy, and I said, is that done? And there was a bit of consternation, which I love, because it means the wheels are turning. <laughs> right? We need to work through these things. This is why I love to study a whole book. So is the work done? Okay. Anybody think otherwise? It's okay. We're family. We can, we can, we can respectfully disagree. The world doesn't know how to do that. Maybe? Okay, so there's a process going on. So then when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, what did he finish? <laughs> you guys are good, see? But this is why we need to think through things. We need to be able to answer those questions and understand, take scripture against scripture and understand what has gone on. So Jesus completed the mission which was, as John says, to save us from our sin, right? He came, he died, he lived, he died, he was resurrected by the Father, and sent the Father sends the Holy Spirit. He completed what God gave him to do. He only did and said what God told him to say and do. Amazing. That's the example for us, right? And then he says, and then uh, I think it's uh, Peter who says, I haven't got this one on the top of my head. It's either the end of Romans or the end of Peter. Help me if you know it off the top of your head. It says, and we will crush the enemy under our feet. Do you remember this scripture? We will crush the enemy under our feet. So I say the same analogy as walking into the promised land, right? Everywhere you place your foot, I will give you and bring the kingdom of God. So now we are walking in Christ and God is bringing us and using that authority that he's given to his body. He's the head. He's the one that has the good thoughts, the God thoughts. And we follow out what he does and we walk as the body, no matter what part of the body you are. And we walk out and we see the works of the enemy continue to be destroyed. Because they are. He is, Colossians says, Jesus brought him in his train the, in, in uh, the Roman times, in ancient times, they would bring the enemy behind the conquering king, stripped and naked and defeated and chained, and they'd parade them through the streets of the victorious city and say, Here, here's the enemy, look at him now, right? And that's in Ezekiel, too. The people in hell said, Is that who we've been so afraid of, that guy? Are you kidding me? And it's the enemy, stripped. So the enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been conquered, and he is a squatter. And he will sit and take over and be the prince of this world as long as we let him. Anybody with me on that? What you got there, Mr. Martin? Thank you. There it is, the end of Romans. Hallelujah. He will crush Satan under our feet. So we are as he is. In, in that, um, we are following in, literally in his footsteps to see the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we wrestle not against fresh flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. And we do it by wearing the armor of God and by following what he says. And that the, that the prince of this world, so there was a, somebody who was kind of got stuck on the fact that I said Jesus was had... Um, he said it is finished, but the rest of the rest of the explanation was 
It's not quite, it's not finished. Because God could have taken out the enemy at any point. But he leaves him here as a sparring partner for the church. That's it. That's his role. Why else would God leave a man of lawlessness and destruction and false prophets and beasts? Why would he do that except to teach warfare to the church who's going to rule and reign with him forever? We have to have a sparring partner. So he didn't clean up all of the mess. And it behooves us to walk in that knowledge as the ecclesia, as a governing power that brings the kingdom of God and brings peace and life and light so that we can see people saved from this mess, right? Yeah. Right. So Kevin said the other part of the argument would be if God hasn't defeated the enemy, does he not have enough power? So people, it comes down to that whole question of suffering. People say, well, if God is merciful, why does he allow suffering? If God is all-powerful, why does he allow suffering? And, and honestly, he's left the enemy for us. And so um, we are learning to walk in this. So the devil, Romans 20.10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Because those guys are the worst, the worst bad dudes of any story ever. Okay? Hallelujah. So false prophets, do not believe every spirit. So test the spirits. How do we test spirits? Well, he's going he's gonna to tell us one way. So by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit... So we know, here's a no again, Paul, or John loves the word no. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So there's Jesus, there's the spirit. Okay, we're going to go back for a second. Um, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. So we've got this word world again, right? That's the context. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And we are to influence the world, not have the world influence us. So God is correcting all that right now, isn't he? He's saying, church, you guys influence the world. We were, we were deemed non-essential during the big COVID fiasco, right? But God says we are essential. We're the salt and light of the world. Try to live without light. Try to live without salt right? You'll die. It happened to us in Chad. We washed away all our electrolytes. We had to eat salt. So uh, what's this? There's another word up there that's repeated. And I, if you were quick, you saw me uh, mark it. <laughs> yeah, I clicked ahead. So confess, and I've got a, a megaphone on there. To confess, it's actually the, you, the symbol I usually word for the gospel. Um, to confess, tell me what it is to confess. To declare, to speak out loud, to make it public, yeah, to make public, good, to confess. So the word for confess in Greek, you're going to love this, you're, you're, you're just going to love Greek after this day, homo logos, to say the same as, the same word, confess means say the same thing, 
So when you know the truth and you say the truth, you're confessing. You're saying the same thing as God says. You're confessing the truth. And the truth will convict people. And I know they have the, we have this whole your truth, my truth thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his truth. I'm talking about the capital T truth. That is a person. That's Jesus Christ. So you will know the spirit of God. You will know this. You will have discernment. And every Christian should have discernment. And then we have people in the body who have a gift of discernment. And everybody needs that. And you pray for leaders especially to have gifts of discernment. Because we have all kinds of people across our paths, don't we? Especially we're, we're, a, we're in a location geographically where we're the junction of so many highways. And people come to hope because it's called hope. And we attract all sorts of people who need Jesus and that God loves. We also we need discernment to how to minister to them effectively, right? Because we just don't want to go, you have a problem, bye-bye. <laughs> because the church, remember, the, the, the vision of the church, everybody coming to hope to get help, all the emergency vehicles. We have the answer. We need discernment of how to apply it. Not everyone will accept, but God can give us strategy, right? Right, Suzanne? Strategy. That's one of our operative words. Okay. So confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. So this was specifically against Gnosticism. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So um, the spirits, when Jesus walked the earth in the flesh, they would say, what are you going to do to us, son of the living God? They knew he was Jesus. But, and it says, even the demons believe and shudder, but they don't believe unto salvation, right? They don't believe that um, he is uh, going to be their savior. They're not on that side. So this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the arrow going down, which you have heard is coming and is now, it is already in the world. So again, I think John is just clarifying to us the the landscape of where God has put us, and that I think it's a call to, um, to not lay down arms and to press in for, for the greater gifts. John is going to clearly say the greatest gift is love, as Corinthians says, as Paul says, but that we need the body to be really well equipped. So this is uh, John's, John talking about testing spirits. So the they are from the world. Who is the they? Sorry, I don't have the screen big enough. Is it spirits? So they are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us, and the one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So are demons from the world? It says we are, we are from God. Okay, I'm going to go with prophets for this reason. Because the context is... Um, the false prophets, that is, we are of God, 
and the demons are of the devil. They're not really actually of this world, right? So the world is the word for world in Greek is cosmos, and sometimes it means the Gentiles as you know against the Jews or unbelievers or the whole creation. But in this, in this case, given the context of it, it says we are from God, so we the believers are from God. They, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, they, so the world, they are from the world. They speak from the, as the world, and the world listens to them, but we're from God. John's already said several times the world isn't listening to us because they don't know God. So I'm going to say they is, um, that's too, way too many, but there's false prophets. They. Um, and maybe not, yeah, yeah, let's be realistic. So they, so again, distinguishing between the they that are from the world who are influenced to go into error by people, by things that are not from the world who want to derail the church, okay? It's a few looks of concern there. I just want to distinguish between the spirits behind false prophets and the false prophets themselves, because the false prophets are from the world, and the world's system, and the prince of this world has sent help to them that they received and took them off course. Does that make sense? So they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. So oftentimes false prophets are, will lead people into sexual immorality. This is a big one. It has been from the beginning of time is to, to destroy the, the values of God who is holy and who is pure and to distort the family and to, to start to just get in and, and mess up the purity of the church. And so um, they will, the world listens to them because their story is a lot easier to follow. It's a lot more enticing. And that's why it says beware of them because they will be popular. They will be. So just because someone is popular... Don't, you know, especially in the days of social media, it doesn't mean they're speaking the truth or they're speaking, you know, 75% truth and 25. It doesn't matter if it's 1% error, you know, if, if it's leading into sin and error. So the world listens to them. We are from God. Hallelujah for that, right? We are from God. And again, John's just straight out. If you're children of God and you're walking with God and Christ is in you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. We are from God, the one who knows God. we got to get this one, right? The one who knows God will listen to us. The one who is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know spirit of truth and the spirit of error so error again is uh, straying straying from the straight line of, of truth any comments or questions on that one Ooh, that's a lot of text beloved let's love one another for love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So this is absolutely by far the best known part of First John, the letter of First John. And so people think John's the prophet of the apostle of love, right? Um, but he had an awful lot of other things to say, as we saw earlier. So beloved, let us love one another is actually two words in Greek. 
and they're both words that are made from agape. So let me let me see if I can find it because I won't remember it. Agape toy, agape men means those who are loved, let us love. Agape toy, agape men. Those who are loved, let us love. Because he first loved us, right? He's going to go on to say that. I love that it's two words, right? God knew what he was doing when he chose Hebrew and Greek to convey his story because they're so rich. And so we have to say, take all those words, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six or seven words there. Um, beloved, let us love one another. Those who are loved, let us love. For love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God. And John uses this term repeatedly. And it's John that's got the story of Nicodemus and being born from the Spirit of God. So if you're born of God and know God. So let's throw a few symbols up there. Beloved, let us love one another. So one in, the one another and the we and the children of God is, is all the same. I, I didn't always mark all the we's because it's too crowded. But... Um, one another is a really essential term in the kingdom. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, so I know some amazing non-believers, even people of other faiths that we would say were false, who are incredible humans. They're just like they're giving and they're kind and they're generous. Anybody know those guys? What is going on? Are they from God? You tell me. Okay, those who are not against us are for us. They actually were talking about Christ. They just weren't in the disciples group. Yeah. So where does the kindness and the love come from then in these people who are good citizens? Heather? It comes from God. So, so we would need to remember again that John is speaking specifically to the believers, but that people are made in the image of God. So they're made in the image of their father, and they're, every one of us has a broken, marred image, but some people are, are just blessed with this a kind heart and a good heart and a servant's heart but they don't actually know God yet or they don't know Christ and they haven't been born from the spirit so imagine when they are born of the spirit they're going to be amazing but the world will take this God is love and they flip it and say well if God is love then love is God is the is that true no no it's not you can be loving and not know God. So they, they take this, God is love, and they flip it and say, well, if God is love, then love is God. But God isn't only love. Because <laughs> scripture says he's also a consuming fire, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's just. But none of those things negate the love. He's lovingly righteous, or righteously loving, and he's justly loving. And he is all of those things um, in a way that we can't fully understand. So the one who does not love, so this is the one who is acting un unloving, 
does not know God because God is love. So this is, this, the, again, love is not the same. Love is God is not the same. It doesn't equate. So this is a one who is in the church. The one who's in the church who says he knows God but doesn't love, doesn't really know God because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us. So what's the by this referring to? It's thick, right? Let's, let's finish that verse that'll help us. By this, the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. So the love, we don't become believers by loving. We love because we believed. And because, because the love of God, when we were born of the Spirit of God, we can't be anything but loving. We're not, we're, we're in the process of being, coming more and more like him, right? We're being conformed to his image. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent his only son into the world. This is a, his only, his unique son. There's only one Jesus. We're sons and daughters of God, but we're not made of the essence of God, right? Only Jesus is the essence of God. Into the world so that we may live through him. So whenever you see us so that, what does that answer? What question? Why? It's Michelle. Okay. Why did God send his only son into the world? So that answers the question, why? Why did God send his son into the world? So that we may live through him. God wants us to live. I mean, every, every parent just wants their child to have a good life, right? Every parent just wants to see their child happy and fulfilled and, and walking, in, uh, walking in wisdom and grace and, and love. So God sends his son into the world so that we may live through him. There's the gospel right there. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we got twice there that God sent his son, right? So I think sometimes we, we relate more to Christ because he seems more relatable but God the Father gave. I always think of this when we worked and lived with the Sokoro people. Would I have given one of my sons so that the Sokoro people could be saved? Wow. I might lay down my own life. Paul says he would give his own life to see these Jewish brothers saved. But love that gives to that extent that cost him and what Richard was describing about knowing what... Um, Oh, sorry, it's getting very late. So let's just fly through this now. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. They're all agape. Yep. So even the, the beloved uh, uh, agape. So beloved, if God so loved in this manner, the so means in this manner, if God loved us, we ought to love one another. And the ought there is a financial term. means you owe it. 
NIV says you must, but it's a financial term. It means because God so loved you, you owe it to one another. You owe it to the body to love. So sorry, I'm just looking at the time going, oh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another point of discussion, and we'll just end there because it's late. But we are called to love the church first. We're called to love the body of Christ. They will know we are Christians by our love one for one another. So that, yeah, we're called to be um, loving to everybody. We're called to walk in love. But your obligation is first to love the body because that's Jesus, right? And that's one of John's main points is if we love the body, the world will look at us and go, I want to be part of that, right? Yes, yes, amen. Yeah, so he, he loved first. The love comes from him and um, that we're, we, are, um, we are in the spirit of God in us you know, um, moves us to love. So let's wrap it up. I didn't realize the time. So, Father, I, I just thank you for John and for this letter. And, uh, Father, the, that you love us with this incredible uh, love that gave all and just um, just lays everything down for us and gives us yourself. And so, God, we, we just pray that you would increase our our knowledge of you, that we would grow in love and knowledge um, by your word and your spirit, and that we would have um, a love that lays its life down for others and doesn't look for something in return. So bless you for your, your word, and we thank you, Lord, for your spirit and the truth. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.